Hi everyone, welcome to the season finale of Spill the Wine, our first season playing through Casilda's song from Pelgrane Press and written by Robin D. Laws. I hope you've all enjoyed the story and the chance to get to know some new characters and also learn a little bit more about some characters who have been with us from the start. For those who've been listening to Nature of My Game for a while, you'll know that we'll be announcing the release date and cast of the next season soon, and I truly cannot wait for you all to hear it. It's a wild ride. Now the holiday season is nearing full swing, which for many means a break from school and work and a chance to spend time with family and friends. And what better way to spend that time than sitting down and playing a role-playing game together? I've mentioned it before, but I highly recommend the Yellow King RPG, whether you're new to gaming or have years of experience under your belt. And if you've already taken my advice and started playing, Pelgrane has released a couple of new books for the Yellow King RPG, two books that I personally will be using to inflict new horrors on my players, or allow them to inflict horrors upon themselves. The first is Legions of Carcosa, a new bestiary filled with horribly unsettling monsters from all four Yellow King RPG settings. It also includes advice on how to incorporate the creatures into settings where they don't initially belong, just to add a little more time-bending intrigue to your campaign. The other, which I cannot wait to bring into our campaign, is Black Star Magic, which provides occult magic available to players. Just like in this season, where some of the shot cards provided benefits to the characters, and they had to decide if they wanted to keep them or not, Black Star Magic creates a system where players can use magic, but at a cost, because spells are also shot cards as well. It's really a brilliant way to force players to make yet another choice between power and knowledge and risk to themselves. I'll be incorporating both of these books into our campaign, so if they sound interesting to you, you should go to the Pelgrane web store and check them out. And now, with no more ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the season finale of Spill the Wine. Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. You don't understand. It's... I didn't have a choice. Well, that is exceptionally rude. Okay. We brought you the arms of the thing you were looking for. That is so messed up. One of them was a lot. Eleven of them is quite a lot. We can make them talk. She said threateningly. And also maybe we're not murderers yet. (laughs) I'm just distracted by like the brawny sculptor lady. Like it's, it's a good look. It's a good look. She whips around with the mallet and she just gets this guy right on the corner of his jaw. And I think a tooth or two comes flying out. Genevieve was just focused on channeling all her hatred towards Brio, this just useless person. Quickly draws the blade and just turns before these guys can even react and just cuts through um, their lower leg to immobilize both of them. He told me that his, his daughters had commenced a game meant for his amusement and and that by reading the play I had unknowingly agreed to participate in the game. Oh god, that's just like so deeply grim. I don't know. They all came from a particular winery in Burgundy, the Chateau de Camilla Rouge. Paris, September 16th, 1895. Olivier Arnaud paced back and forth across his living room, trying to make sense of what he just heard. An illegal shipment, sure, that made sense. Coming from a winery outside of the city? Nothing too strange there. But everything else, creatures in wine barrels, armed guards, a significant threat to the entire population of Paris? It didn't make any sense. But the source... The source had never led him astray. In fact, she had shown Olivier more truth about the world, about the meaning of existence, than anyone or anything ever had. He knew she must be right, and so he would plan accordingly. After all, that's what she had asked him to do. Olivier knew that he wouldn't be getting much sleep tonight, so he lit a candle at his desk and began to write. He was a meticulous planner. That's what made him so good at his job, what had helped him rise through the ranks. It was why his mistress valued him so much, why she'd come to visit him that night, why she was relying on him to do what she needed him to do. He drew maps, created lists of the men he'd bring with him, and wrote out explicit instructions on what they'd need to do. As he finished, he folded his notes neatly and slid them into an envelope. He left it sitting on the middle of the desk where he'd be able to find it in the morning, 
and then blew out the candle. He needed to get what rest he could before heading out early to coordinate the men. But as he got into bed, it was his mistress's final words that sounded over and over again in his head. Among the many things she'd said that night that didn't make sense to Olivier, it was perhaps the most incomprehensible. But it was also what she'd been most insistent upon. As she was leaving, she turned back and looked at him right in the eyes. Oh, and Olivier, she said, once you're done, bring me one of the casks, unopened. So as we are coming upon the conclusion of this season, the dramatic conclusion of season nine and our first <laughs> our first scenario in Casilda's song for the Yellow King RPG, we of course, thank you Chris for reminding me before the episode started, <laughs> have to come back to our two truths and a lie. Uh, now that you now that the audience knows so much more about all of us as players <laughs> and our characters, now it's time to really reveal the nitty-gritty of our lives. So who would like to go first in revealing uh, which was the lie among your uh, your three statements? Oh, wait. Can we do we get to guess, though, of each other? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Oh. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, because yeah. right. We're getting so to we know each, each other better. So, yeah, yeah. yeah someone yeah, should yeah. read theirs. We can all yeah. guess. I like it. I like it. Reveal. I'll go first because I'll go first because because everybody knows the answer to everybody on this call <laughs> at least knows the answer to mine. Um, and so I, I think. So the three things that I said were uh, that I'm currently in culinary school, that I got a perfect score on the SAT, and that I have the yellow sign tattooed on my arm. So the lie is... <laughs> that you got a perfect score on the SAT. That is correct. Um, fun fact, my wife got a perfect score on the SAT, um, and she'll be very happy that I'm shouting it out to, <laughs> for public consumption. I, I will raise my hand and confess that I didn't know you were in culinary school. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. Very uh, cool. That is real. That is real. Um, and, and anybody who follows our Instagram or who has listened to Patreon uh, knows that I do have the yellow king or the yellow sign tattooed on my arm it's a, a recent mm -hmm. addition very cool to, yeah yeah which is just so cool just <laughs> really really neat. i'm so happy with it honestly it, like the tattoo artist it looks uh, great oh it came out awesome yeah. yeah shout out to jk kim who's the, my tattoo artist she did an amazing job love it uh who wants to go uh, next i'll go next i'll go next all right so my three were um i can't ride a bike i've run a half marathon and I wrote my name on the Eiffel Tower. I don't know. Hmm. I'm gonna go with bike. I was also bike gonna go with bike. Fun. I'm gonna go with half marathon. Well, uh, Eric is correct. The lie was that I Yay. ran half marathon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. First of all, well, guess you don't believe in me, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> there was such a knowing look in your eye on the screen right now where you're like, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> I didn't say that yeah. you couldn't run a half marathon. Yeah. I just, <laughs> yeah. just chosen not to use my. It just didn't see high, seem high on your priority list. Running, you. boo. Yeah. No, I will say that I when I play this game, I always use the can't ride a bike one because people are like, that just seems insane. But I literally have never learned how to ride a bike. That is That's wild. Fair. That's amazing. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I don't even know. I... Not gonna say my parents didn't love me, but no. <laughs> can your, can, your, just, can uh, your sister ride a bike? She can. She can. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> I was just like, oh. a very, very obstinate little child, and like, I think yeah. I learned how to ride it with like training reels, but then it came to like taking them off, and I was like, I don't want to learn. And I just think they were tired, and they were like, you know what? Forget it. Like, you'll learn when you want to learn. Yeah, but that I would. Sense. I would actually. I think I would enjoy it. Like if I learned how to do it, so. You know, it's stay never tuned. too late. Okay, it's never <laughs> too late. <laughs> I believe in you. Oh, 
<laughs> That's the push that I needed. <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend doing a half marathon, but I think you could ride a bike. I think go with that Agreed. one if you yeah. yeah if you had to choose yeah. a goal. Thank you. That's yeah. <laughs> one seems slightly more fun than the other. Yeah, yeah. agree. Yeah. All right, you got to name the next person. Oh, you. um, yeah. Uh, oh, you sorry, go, Emily. Lindsay does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is Emily, it me? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um. So my three. God, I hope I didn't change these since I I wrote them down. I think the the ones were that I sprained my ankle falling off a stopped horse. Um. <laughs> I drove a car named Steve, or like the first car that I drove was named Steve um, and then at a dinner party we measured the circumferences of everyone's heads and mine was the biggest mm. Mm. okay all of these feel so plausible to me for some reason yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So they all just like I and I respect the game of making them all sound like exceptionally realistic um, <laughs> and niche I'm going I they are very go. niche yeah I'm going with the car named Steve and I bet it's a lie because the car had a different name I agree I was, with Chris. I was thinking I agree the with same Chris, thing. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I'm going to pivot. I'm going to go with the ankle thing. I'm going to go with the falling off the horse when it was stopped. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Okay. Let's hear it. All votes are red? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely drove a car that I named Steve. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I, I love to name things. I have named many, many things in my in my life. And Steve, I think, was like the first thing that I named. Amazing. Um, and everyone on the Zoom call can see I actually do have quite a large head. <laughs> um, so, in fact, I never sprained my ankle in my life. Oh, oh and my God. I did ride horses for years, um, and I did fall off, but I never actually injured myself. There you go. I've never sprained go. anything oh or broken anything in my life. Wow. That's a I should. I've never broken Not a bone God. either. Oh I should, I should use that for two truths and a lie in the future. Yeah. I've never broken a bone either. Oh, that's a good one. Ooh. Oh that right. seems surprising <laughs> that three of us have never broken a bone. Yeah, Doesn't it does. It? We're all Chris, due. have you broken a bone? I, I have. have. Yeah, I broke my arm mm. in kindergarten. Ooh. Oh. I broke my arm also. I don't remember what grade. <laughs> 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 all right, Emily, who, who's going next? All right, Chris, the arm breaker, the first of the arm breakers. All right. Uh, <laughs> Beautiful so name. I, <laughs> I think I remember mine. Um, so first, um, I actually thematically um do not really like paris um really don't don't like it at all i um have never been skiing and my grandfather has a potato named after him (laughs) (laughs) oh man see i have to think it's it's that logic that was applied against me right it's because I think someone mentioned this. It can't, but maybe it's not a potato. Yeah. Or right, maybe right. it's not a grandfather. Like those are uh-huh. two yeah, very like it's swappable or details. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the, the detectives go on here. This is little detectives. <laughs> yeah, I like that. We're <laughs> yeah. playing a gumshoe based yeah. game. It's all appropriate. I'm I feel pretty confident. I've never been okay. skiing. But sorry. Go ahead. No, no, yeah. no. You're good. You're mm-hmm. good. I feel pretty confident that Chris does not like Paris because. <laughs> I feel like you, so uh, my wife does not like Paris and she doesn't like Paris because of the one weekend that she went to Paris <laughs> when she studied abroad, which I don't know whether they went, but Lily and Chris also studied abroad with Kelsey. I was and so there. <laughs> I don't know whether Chris was there, but I feel like it's possible that he doesn't like Paris from that same weekend. The exact same reason. The weather so was I'm, terrible. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with that the lie has never been skiing as well. I think he's been skiing. I'm going to go with Paris. So I have never been skiing. That was correct. <sighs> okay. Growing you know, growing up as a triplet, I think it was very difficult to um, take three young kids <laughs> skiing. So Fascinating. <laughs> and I actually have never been to Paris, so that was the okay. lie. <gasps> oh, oh, wow. Um, but actually, yeah. Okay. Father does have a species of potato named after him because Amazing. he was a dedicated potato scientist. That was his <gasps> field of research. Amazing. So, oh wow. wow. What a I noble just... pursuit. God yeah. loves the potato. <laughs> and all of them that love it. <laughs> one of my favorite foods, honestly. So it really runs so in the family. <laughs> Incredible. My father was a potato man. His father was a potato <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> Son will be a potato man. <laughs> is this a is this a Smith? No, uh, my mom's side. So, so what is the right. potato named? 
Um, something Sawyer, some Sawyeris or something. Love it. Mm. Yeah, he was really into it. He was like like co-founded the um, International Center for the Potato in Peru and like traveled all over the world. Can I join? (laughs) Gotta be really passionate about the humble (laughs) potato. That's hilarious. Do you eat anything else? No, you cannot be part of it. Nope. (laughs) Only potato. Um, All right, Lily, you're last up. Oh, yeah. I was just trying to think because I I messed that up, my guess. I like. I said I think he's been skiing, so I didn't choose that one. But that doesn't make sense. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, didn't whatever. Clock it. Okay, yeah. And then I'm like trying to figure out how I got both of them wrong. But anyways, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Skill. All right. So uh, my three were: I play five instruments. My wife and I met when we were 13, and I have completed a triathlon. See, again, with some of the good swappable details. Mm -hmm. 13, five instruments. Mm. Hmm. I think it's the triathlon. I don't know why. I just, that's that's my You have no faith in me? I have plenty of faith. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with the instruments. Ooh. I think I'm going to go with the instruments. Got a bunch of different answers here. Yeah. All right. So I know the story of how you and Kate met, but the question is. Did you start at your high school in mm. seventh grade, which is common for people in New for people in New Jersey, or at least semi-common, or in ninth grade, which would mean that you were fourteen or fifteen? I feel pretty confident that you play five instruments. Um, you were in the band in Notre Dame. I, you're a musician. I feel pretty good about that one. Um, but maybe not. Maybe you're. Maybe you just play the drums. But I think you probably play five instruments. Um, I think you play the piano too. I'm gonna go with the triathlon. All right, I play three instruments. Oh! oh. See, you know what? I knew. Which ones? Which I ones? knew that you played something, but I was like, five seems like a lot. Triathlon—that's <laughs> kind of, awesome. I did do a triathlon. Yes, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, it was actually really fun. Uh, and. <laughs> You're right that we did not, we started high school in ninth grade, but we met in marching band and marching band started in the spring of eighth ah, grade. Ah, all right. So I was oh, wrong yeah. about when you started, so, but I was right. I, yes, but I still yes. got it right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you what are, the story. What are the, you had the story right. <laughs> yeah. What are the yeah. three instruments that you play? Um, clarinet okay. was my first one. Oh. And uh, piano, oh no, sorry. Piano was my first one. And then, which I played from like as a child. And then clarinet was my first band instrument and then i decided i hated it so i switched to drums in high school but i continued to play clarinet in the concert band and then i decided i i warmed up to it a little bit (laughs) continued drums in in college very cool all right so i I was right about piano but wrong about the but that and also like it is kind of pushing it like percussion is hard because like as a percussionist you end up playing multiple instruments but i just just decided Mm -hmm. to group that into one can you play the xylophone I can. Okay, so like... okay, 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 okay. <laughs> the, tri- the triangle, the triangle, I might set aside as, as counting as a drum, but a xylophone. That feels like it counts. That's okay, like but a combo piano and drum. Yes, but there are like fifteen different types of like mallet instruments. Also, like I'm not counting each of those as like a different yeah. one. And like I could also mm-hmm. play like the cymbals, but I wasn't. I mean, yeah, if you counted like all, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that one wasn't really super accurate. <laughs> but by that math, five Challenge. is correct either. Yeah. 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 That's true. true. Okay, true. yes, that's I true. If we open it up, anything yes. you can bang on. <laughs> yeah, so it's either it's either three or a hundred. So it's yeah. definitely not five yeah. or yeah. limitless. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I was right. Uh. Amazing, amazing. Um, all right, so now our listeners know more about us and. Mm-hmm. Uh, They'll be really sad when I kill one of you off here in this last episode. Uh, no. Why because they won't. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> Woo, just write in. Wow. Hey um, kids, how about a finale? <laughs> so I so I'll be I'm gonna I'm gonna give the audience a little peek behind the curtain. Um I did a longer uh recap in the last episode because it had been a little bit of time since we had recorded the last episode and so i wanted to give the players a little bit more of a recap i am not going to do that right now and so um we left our characters having burned down 
uh, Brio and Sons wine import, uh, importers uh, to destroy a number of creatures that were sitting in wine casks there. And also hopefully to at least um, somewhat stymie the shipment of more of these creatures, dozens more of these creatures that are supposed to arrive the following day. They uh, turned the two henchmen into the gendarme. Uh, they have been placed in jail. They turned Jules Brio. Uh, they committed him to the asylum. He remains there. I mean, the word of the word of not one but two Vanderbilts uh, holds a lot of sway in Paris. Uh, even mm-hmm. though Jules Brio did not know who the Vanderbilts were, uh, the right <laughs> the just, right people. The right. On that do. note, on that note, I have to say that I really wanted to be able to deliver Brio to the asylum myself, so that as he was being committed, I could say to him. I did warn you not to displease me. <gasps> oh, <laughs> yes. So I was waiting for that. So. You did and you did say that. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> <laughs> it's canon. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's the evening. Night is falling. And the imminent threat of these creatures arriving tomorrow is upon you. So what do you do? Well, we've so we know that the warehouse has gone up in flames, right? Like that has worked out well. Yes, yes. The it's the, like the warehouse is, the warehouse is okay. burning. No one saw Percy mm-hmm. burn it, and you've you've dealt with Jules Brio and his two henchmen. Um, so now mm-hmm. the the last remaining problem is the the shipment that arrives tomorrow. And it, this thing's coming yes. in in the morning. Uh, he Did said he said that the shipment arrives tomorrow, and you burned the place down. Mm-hmm. And we committed we him to the asylum. Great. Yes, yeah, so you committed <laughs> to an asylum. I said follow up and taunted him on the way in. So and then we go yeah. back and just hey, by the way, by the way, <laughs> one more question. <laughs> so sorry, okay. we just dropped off a madman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Quick follow up. But he has yeah. some information that we need from. <laughs> yeah. Well, he told us what route they take, right? Yes, like they go yeah. over a certain They're bridge coming from and the everything south like that on yeah. carts to the Saint Cloud bridge. bridge. Right. And then yep. we'll travel through the, north through the city to the warehouse, which is now in yeah. ashes. Do we? What do we know about the Saint Cloud Bridge and the area around it? Uh, one of a number of bridges that come into that come into Paris crosses over the Seine, and you know Paris is reasonably sprawling, and so like coming into Paris is not you don't, you aren't immediately like in the city. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let me check to make sure that the Saint Cloud Bridge leads over the Seine, though. I think it does. I, I googled. I was still in my Google. The Pont de Saint Cloud. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I, I realized as soon as I was saying it that I had no yeah. idea how to pronounce the word. It is the word cloud, yeah. and I don't know how to say that in French. It was really the facial expression that did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> how uh, French should be spoken. Um. Uh, yeah, so that is, that is yeah. true, and you're actually kind of coming into the same like section. Uh, you're like it's it's somewhat close to um, Neuilly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's south south of Neuilly, but um, closer to that than say the heart of downtown Paris. I mean, can these things swim? Like, my impulse is like, how do we get this bridge to come down? If only we had an explosive expert in uh, in this season. <laughs> yeah, where's yeah. where's Fabio? Where's Fabio when you need him? Uh, hundred and fifteen years with later. Dealing vampire girlfriend. I knew I was recording somebody. I was like, poor Fabio. I, <laughs> he, he has enough on his hands for now. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I mean, I have he... also thought about blowing it up. Yeah. Do, but, do the gendarme carry guns or just like a, mm. a nightstick, like a bobby or something? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that they regularly carry guns. And if they were armed, I think it would probably be with rifles mm. for so whatever situations words, required that. So if we tipped them off that two yeah. large illegal shipments are coming through the city. But what are they going to do? They're going to open it up. And right. Like, and then... Brah! Not have guns and get destroyed by a bunch of these creatures. <laughs> well, maybe yeah. if they were going to stop an illegal shipment, they might bring guns with them. I like you could the tell idea. that you could tell them that they're that they're uh-huh. you know that they're armed combatants that are you know willing to die True. for the sake of the shipment. Yeah, uh-huh. I wouldn't mind tipping them off just to give us numbers because I feel like we need them unless we can blow up the bridge with the carts on it. <laughs> 
<laughs> how I yeah I want to blow up the bridge so bad, but like I, I I mean where on earth could we get like dynamite overnight in Paris and know how to set mm-hmm. it up properly? Um, so I mean I envision like we're so we've all regrouped somewhere right and we're having this conversation. I assume like, so. Yes. You know, Sipping some to, tea, yeah, watching yeah. the warehouse burn. Right. <laughs> yeah, from a safe distance. Uh-huh. Eggnog for me, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the glow in the distance of some righteous justice. Yes. Um, but I think, you know, while we're, they're sitting there and, and they're talking, Rose, you know, Rose is looking off. Yeah, they're, you know, watching this fiery pyre from a distance. And I think she's going to pause and she won't look at her group when she's thinking of this out loud, but she's going to say, I hate to say it or even suggest it, but she'll pause and she'll say, technically, we have an ally on our side who said that we had a common enemy. Is it absolute madness to try and lean on her? And I think for Rose, especially, this is like, this is that weird cross section of like this otherworldly thing happening in Paris like has half destroyed her life but also like maybe it's something to be used like something to be utilized and so I think she'll like leave at that comment and just like leave it in the silence of the group for anyone to respond. Yeah I mean I think I'm remembering that conversation that we had right after she left and we did say you know that we might try and use her help like let her think that she's using us but actually we're using her so, I yeah. like the idea of using her. Also, Percy has, like, a bond with her now. Mm-hmm. That's true. S- so, could I draw on that to, like, be like, hey, got some explosives for us? And you could definitely try. You could definitely try. That's <laughs> what every lady loves to hear. <laughs> <laughs> it's the real poetry. Did she actually ask us? to do anything specific? No, right? She She, said like... She spoke about factions and she spoke about... (sighs) See, that's what... That's the only thing that concerns me is that if her sister has agents, she was, I feel, looking for agents. I don't know how much she herself can do unless it were to recruit more agents, specifically ones who specialized in blowing things up. I mean, I don't like her. For the record, I I believe that Mm. she said that she could use the assistance of bold folks like you who are unafraid of meaning trouble head on. Yeah. Mm. I mean, could we frame it as like we're going to fill her in on what we've accomplished so far and then... Yeah, just see what she says. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, right. Makes me distinctly uncomfortable, but I mean, God knows any tool in the arsenal we should use before these things get loose in Paris. Should we... Buy a bottle of absinthe and pour an extra glass and hope. Let's go back to the, uh, the weird <laughs> bar. What was it called? The Cabaret of Death. I remember like Neon something. Uh, yes, the Cabaret of Death. Yes. Mm-hmm. Should we return to the Cabaret of Death? It's quite early for Percy, so we might as well. <laughs> I think that makes the most sense, right? I mean, that's where we met her. Maybe it's sort of like, yeah, we order a bottle, we pour them out. It's like a calling card, so... Um, all right. So, any preparations you want to make before heading to the Cabaret of Death? You're doing it this. You're doing it tonight. I mean, I guess that's your only option, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do we do we want to tip off the gendarme just because they're buddies with Percy? Do we think it's helpful, or, or do we think it's kind of like in opposition to this discussion with Casilda potentially? Yeah. Maybe try this first, and then we can always yeah. tip them off if it doesn't go well. Yeah. Because I good. think they're gonna go by the rules, and we might need to like not. Mm. quite by the, by the rules right wink wink <laughs> yeah <laughs> um all right so you you head back to the cabaret of death you walk through the dark curtain and you are ushered to a coffin table <laughs> you order a a bottle of absinthe and five glasses and pour them out and before long without any of you noticing where exactly <gasps> she came from you notice that casilda is sitting down next to you again says, hello, my friends. I believe you wanted to speak with me. I can't believe that worked. <laughs> and she kind of, she kind of like leans uh, like a little closer to Percy and just kind of mm-hmm. like puts her hand on his back. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Why, yes, of course, Casilda, my dear. 
We took care of the business you wanted us to attend to. Did you now? I, my sources tell me that only some of the business has been taken care of. Yes, well, unfortunately, we discovered more business. And <laughs> we'd like your thoughts about how to deal with it. I did tell you that what you had learned so far was just the tip of the iceberg. Yes, well, as easy as it was to personally destroy one of those creatures and then together destroy 11 of them, I hear we have many more coming, and I'm not sure that just us are up to the task. What do you suggest? What can I do for you? Do you have any dynamite? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh... A lady always carries dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> dynamite is more my sister's style. There's no reason to make things that messy. Perhaps some occult magics could help us. And I think because Percy kind of loves the occult, he like leans in and gives her this knowing look of like, you know. <laughs> eyebrow uh, waggle. What's everybody, say, what's everybody else everybody... thinking and feeling right now? That's not the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think Francis is very much giving the, oh, Percy look, which she is used to giving. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I think for Rose, like, you know, even though, like, this was, like, you know, she thinks that this is, like, the right route to get her help, um, just, like, hearing the idea of, like, using further, like, magic and witchery, like, she's done something like that already, like, used mm. what she thought was, like, a magical knife to, like, you know, and it backfired on her, like, hugely. So I think <laughs> there's a little bit of anxiety for Rose hearing this option. I think Genevieve is just rolling her eyes and thinking, useless. Oh. <laughs> not about Percy, about this yeah. useless person who yeah. I knew was not going to be able to help us anyways. Well, So there's um, another way. So she had her hand on Percy's back, and when he says some sort of magic occult um, practice, she um, she kind of leans, not, a, not, like, not like recoils, but kind of like she was kind of leaning in to Percy, like kind of almost cozily. And she kind of like sits back up and like moves her hand to the top of his head and pats him on the head and says, oh, oh, my sweet, young, fantastical boy. There's no need for anything quite that dramatic. Don't worry. I, I have contacts in the government. I have people, other people playing for my team. I'll deal with the situation. You don't need to worry about it. You've done, you've done plenty. You've done well. Moments ago, you just told us there was more we we still had to do, and now now it's solved. I believe that I said that the problem that I asked you to solve was the tip of the iceberg. It was. That doesn't mean that I can't play the final winning move against my sister myself. Is this the final move in this round? Is your game done? Hmm. For the moment. Hmm. I'm sure we all find that very comforting. <laughs> yeah, Rose definitely doesn't like that answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a feeling we'll be seeing you at the St. Cloud Bridge tomorrow, is that correct? Perhaps I'll be there. Perhaps I won't. And then all of a sudden she's gone with that same <gasps> scent of absinthe <laughs> in the air, behind, kind of filling the space where she was before. Percy was just about to ask her to visit Paris's finest clubs with him this evening. He's wounded. <laughs> this way he didn't get turned oh, no. down. Okay. I don't trust her at all. Oh, certainly not. I think we still have to take care of this problem. Or at least go there and make sure that it gets taken care of. Yes. Yes, but how? There will be agents. Some sort of agents of her sister. And with any luck, they at least will be our equals. Who knows? Maybe they'll be a little more amenable to alternatives. With, um... Um, I was hoping this would end this game, but it sounds just one step further into it. With Percy's like deep knowledge of the official world, did anything about her comment about sources in government or whatever she mm. said like strike him a certain way? Or was it just like, yeah, I also have sources in government? I think it just strikes you as, the, as maybe she's better connected than you maybe thought she was um, or like assumed she would be. That she's, you know, I don't know what your impression of her kind of the way that she would, that you expected that she would deal with life in Paris, um, but it seems like she's well connected in the government, or at least she's mm. implying that she is. 
what the ramifications of that are, I don't think you would have any idea. So maybe she'll take care of it, but like, what's our backup plan? I think we should go to the gendarme and tip them off. Can Percy not find explosives? Mm. Like, That's a good question. Don't you know people who might His have underworld connections? Yeah. yeah. Your seedier pals. I mean, we were warned away from from anything that big. And there, I'm sure there are plenty of commuters who would be very displeased to lose their regular route into the city. <laughs> I think we'll be more unhappy to get their guts ripped out. But... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess if whatever happens after this, I think Percy would spend time pursuing explosives with his underworld connections in whatever, you know, all of his late night wanderings. Um, I don't think he thinks that's particularly plausible as a route. Like, I still think he wants to do the, he wants to tip off the gendarme and meet at the bridge tomorrow, but I think he would try. It could be like our third option, right? Like, (laughs) it's set up, but it's like, Maybe her agents come through. Maybe she's just lying. And, you know, maybe the gendarme do something. But, like, the moment it looks like this stuff is going to make its way off the bridge, like, that can be our final ultra plan. Okay. I think my mind is going to, is there any way if we if we just watched? If we watched, if we saw them coming, if we could just delay them. I mean, fire worked once. It doesn't need to go boom. We just have to get to those carts and start just an ever so small conflagration. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess we could just follow them hmm. and just keep watching and see what happens. Like the plan was to deliver them to the warehouse, not to like unleash them. So that's true. Uh-huh. If they get to the warehouse and that's the first they're hearing of like, the, the warehouse isn't there or maybe they have, by that point have already found a different place to deliver them to so we yeah. could just like follow and see where they go and try and come up with a better plan but I don't know we may be missing our window there with the bridge yeah. mm-hmm. I am concerned that if we left it to later we wouldn't have a chance to like take it all out at once and then mm-hmm. we would be even if we like burned one of the carts or something we would still have quite a bunch of those things coming at us potentially mm-hmm. right just, and we I, might have to fight the people delivering them right yeah. yeah yeah they could have a bunch of people my kingdom for an old school archer that has one of those arrows that's on fire <laughs> yeah and we can just be well back and just <laughs> fire away <laughs> and watch them explode <laughs> mm-hmm. why aren't any of us good in medieval archery skills yeah <laughs> Where was that lesson amidst all of our high society tutors? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So option one, Casilda takes care of it for us. Option two, the gendarme take care of it for us. Option three, we blow up the bridge. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I think it's a solid three-tier plan. At I what agree. point do we decide, like, if, if it's just, like, if nothing happens before they get to the bridge, then we blow it up? That's... Is that the plan? <laughs> like, the moment it seems like they're going to get off this bridge yeah, at the and, like, end. further into Paris. Yeah, okay. the Put other the explosive end. at, like, the, the far end. Give them a good chance yeah. to make it all the way over. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I love it. Yeah. This is assuming right. we get explosives and yeah. that yes. they are strong enough to yes. blow up the bridge. <laughs> yes. this, is, this is why I'm thinking fire. Like, if, because, mm-hmm. you know, traffic, traffic can be slow. And if if the traffic is slow enough, we could just, you know, go on by and, like, dump some turpentine into the cart and then light a match and let it rip. I don't know. Hmm. Feels risky to me. I don't want to be near the things. (laughs) Fair. Yeah. Yeah, and I just feel like if there's dozens of them, getting them all to light on fire at once, like, we might get some of them, but it'd be hard to get all of them. Although my other concern is, what if they can swim? <laughs> they just like, jump in the air and then they just swim away. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. It's no, no perfect plan, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we have three. Pl- we have three tiers of a plan. I I think yeah. that's the best we can do. I, I wish we knew who the agents were. Yeah. I wish we knew if it was twenty people or some jerk who can drive a cart. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a fair point. Yeah. If only you had had someone who, you know, might have had more information. 
<laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> I mean, do we have to go talk to Brissot? Like, to I go? mean, when you when you burn you down know? his warehouse, I think yeah, yeah, yeah I think I yeah. think your your avenues of, we of that conversation door? were were, were yeah. shut. Yeah, yeah. All right. I don't know, guys. I kind of feel like this might be our <laughs> this might be our route. <laughs> okay. You I know? love it. Like, yeah, yeah. You know. All right. Well, All right, let's so, you know. Yeah, let's do it. Let's see if Percy can get explosives first. Right. So, per- so Percy is going to go out and try to get explosives. Um, the other three of you will start with mm-hmm. we'll start with um, Genevieve. What are you doing? Are you doing anything for the rest of the night? Are you just going home, trying to get some sleep before a big day the next day? Um, are we are we planning to tip off the gendarme before Percy finds out if he can get explosives? I think Percy can. Uh, I think okay. Percy knows that. has a contact right. there that he can pretty easily. So we'll say that you did that. Okay. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think I'll just go home, maybe, see if I can check in with Alice, make sure nothing weird has happened, and then get some rest, maybe. Okay. How do you think she's feeling after the events of the day? I think at first she was feeling pretty good about, you know, embarrassing Brio and destroying so many of those creatures successfully. That, That was some impressive fighting. But now... She regrets talking to Casilda mm. because she she thinks that that may have been the wrong decision, and okay. uh, she didn't she doesn't like that they asked for help, and then were not able to successfully use her, or maybe maybe they did, but we don't know yet. And she's just feeling a little frustrated that that we don't have the answers yet. Got it, uh, Rose. What about you? Um, I think Rose will also go home. Um. I think that she is feeling, I think she's feeling like a little, like the walls are closing in. Um, Just that sensation of like, you know, when one problem seems to be extinguished, more crop up afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's like a feeling that, you know, from like what had happened to her in the past winter, it's just, you know, it feels like they're coming up against like bigger and bigger odds. And I think when she gets home, she tries a couple times like unsuccessfully to write a note to like send to Manu or to leave her. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just really ends up being like a bunch of lines crossed out and she never finished it. Got it. Francis, what about you? Oh, um, it's if it looked like everyone else is separating, then I think Francis also goes home. And she checks to see with the servants if there are any notes for her, because she's still she's still not sure why she hasn't heard anything back from from Donald and Monty. But I don't know. I think she's too restless to really get any any rest. I think it's I think she stays up for most of the night. I think she sits up in her studio and just kind of watches out the window and she doesn't like any of these options that they have for tomorrow, but she is at a loss for what else they can do. Got it. All right. So then that just leaves Percy. So Percy, I think what we need to do here is I think we're going to do a you're using your demi monde ability to see whether you can kind of gain access to explosives. But I think I want a preparedness roll. I think that's what we're going to go with um, to see whether you can talk to the right people, find the right sources to acquire these uh, these materials to do enough damage to this bridge to to really affect the shipment. Um, so let good. me know h- how many points you want to spend and, and let me know like what kind of like who are these contacts that you're that you're finding that are representing any points you're spending? Yeah, I'm gonna do two. that's all I have left so I'm gonna spend two. Okay. Um, and I think the rationale is that I think Percy has cultivated these contacts in the underworld for a reason, suspecting that they might be useful for him. <laughs> um, yep. So in this case, it's you know some some like underground revolutionaries who are trying to stir up trouble um, right around the turn of the century there and stockpiling explosives for their revolutionary of group. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Um, all right. Go ahead and uh, go ahead and roll your preparedness check. So I rolled a two plus two is four. Uh, that is not enough. Um, oh, so no. the uh, the revolutionaries feel like they're right on the cusp <laughs> and they can't spare any any explosives <laughs> for something so trivial as a as an illegal shipment that's coming in. 
very unfortunate. What a shame. How selfish of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what does the rest of the night look like for Percy, and and how is he feeling? I think he's bummed. I think he he was looking forward to drawing on these underworld connections. Um, But he also kind of saw this as plan C, so I think he goes out a little more and enjoys his night, and then he goes home (laughs) early, um, which is like, you know, 3 or 4 a.m., to get a good night's sleep before tomorrow. All right. And so you all wake up, you reconvene, and make your way to the St. Cloud Bridge. And you kind of find a hiding spot somewhere that's, you know, enough out of the way that you won't be seen, but that you can make sure that you see the, the action. Um, and you don't know whether it's good luck, good fortune, or whether Casilda or Camilla or someone else has kind of, you know, manipulated things. But there's not a lot of other traffic using this route today. Uh, you know, the occasional cart will come by but nothing nothing that seems uh nothing that seems like it's going to cause a major uh commotion and then kind of from a distance you see what has to be the 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 shipment there are four carts each with 12 casts on them four Oh my god four times 12 is a lot we were probably two carts <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And dear God, there's one man kind of walking along with each cart. So there's four men and they come closer. And I think you start to feel the tension in the air around. You don't see, doesn't seem like there are any gendarme in the area. You know, you know that, you know that, you know, uh, I think, um, I think Percy had mentioned before that because the Parisian city walls are not what they used to be, these shipments are brought into warehouses kind of unchecked, and then they'll go to kind of a customs house and officially check the goods into the city. And so nobody, it doesn't look like there's anybody around. And the wagons, the carts get closer to the bridge and closer to the bridge. And then all of a sudden, a set of gendarmes pop out from hiding. You had not seen them. They were behind trees and they're all (laughs) pointing rifles at the at the at the carts and at the men. And you see that two of the men reach and pull out pistols and look like they're going to return fire on the gendarme. And two other men reach into the carts and pull out crowbars and they look like they're going They look like they're going to pop off the lid Absolutely of, not. of two of the casks before both of them take bullets from the gendarme <gasps> to the chest and fall over. Oh, dear God. And the gendarme charge the carts and they stop the men from doing anything with the casks. Oh. And then you see another man not dressed in a gendarme's outfit, but actually like an official of the city walk out very calmly from behind the trees where the gendarme were and he starts issuing orders you can't quite hear what he's saying but he's issuing orders to the gendarme two of them grab the two men that had been shot and start like very quickly moving them back to the city to see if they can get the medical attention the other two men who had who um had reached for their pistols have their pistols taken away from them and they're handcuffed and the city official he starts directing people around, and you see that uh, that a number of gendarmes put their rifles away and they pull out cudgels, actually similar to similar to the ones that you <laughs> saw um, the the two the henchmen and Brio use. And you see that they go to each of the each of the casks, and two of the gendarmes stand over the cask with the cudgel raised, and oh, a third wow. one pops open the lid of the of the cask with a with a crowbar and immediately the two gendarme with the cudgels slam the cudgels down wow and seemingly knock out whatever is inside you don't even see anything pop out oh. and you you all you see is like a splash of red liquid <gasps> which you oh. think is probably wine um, as they like slam their cudgels down a few times and they go through and they do that to 
every cask but one. <gasps> and then the city official directs the gendarme to take all of the carts away except one. And they, mm. he tells them to leave that one with him. And they leave. And so now the scene in front of you is just this city official standing in the grass on this trail that, you know, that people come into the city um, along with a with a cask sitting in front of him. And he looks like he is waiting for someone. Wait, one cask or one cart? One cask. Okay. Oh. I mean, I think like, I think in that moment, like wherever they're hiding, like Rose is going to like look at her companions and say like, do you think he's waiting for her? Should we wait and see before we approach him? Wait, I just have a question. So we think that the casks were filled with wine, not these creatures. Is that what no, the it impression seems like that we got? No, it seems like it was the creatures and the wine. It was the the, mm-hmm. the creatures were in the Hidden wine. In the wine. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Right. And like disguise. they were it's it seems like they were prepared for them to be creatures. Yes, right? they like, were. Yeah. Yes, they like, were prepared they for these, something like, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, they they like yeah. you don't have to hit wine. Right. They hit they hit <laughs> yeah. something. Yeah, they they like yeah. yes, they were prepared for it. Yes. So they ha- these guys like they've got to be like Casilda's yeah. guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think we just wait. I mean, Watch. he could be waiting for us. Yeah. Let's give True. him a minute. Let's yeah. give him a minute. Wait a couple minutes. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. So after about 10 minutes, you see coming from in the city, a cart similar to the ones that brought in the other casks being led across the bridge out of the city toward the man and the cask. And it's being led by six armed men. Not gendarme. Not gendarme. Six six armed men who cross over with the bridge and the man waves them over to load up the cask onto the cart. Mm. This this has a strong not our problem vibe about it. <laughs> <laughs> I want like I want to know where this is going, but like, I want to know. We can't take six armed no. men. Do you know what I mean? Can we get closer? Can we try to to get closer and overhear something that might be said? Uh, yeah, you can try. You can do a sneak test. None of you have any. None of you have very many sneak points <laughs> left. I have one. <laughs> I have no sneak, but I want to sneak. I mean, that's, that's up to you. I I'd, I'd like to try. I don't I don't want it. Francis can't sit still. She didn't sleep last night. She needs to know what's happening. So yeah, I will straight up go and try to sneak and listen. Okay, is anybody joining Francis? Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like I can't let her go by herself. So I don't have any sneaking either. But <laughs> let's just you know, two nice ladies um, out for a stroll. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so either you roll each roll separately or you make this a piggyback and because one of you can't spend the point that you need to, the difficulty goes up by two. I think we just roll separate. I don't yeah. think there's a benefit. <laughs> yeah. All right, go ahead. Shall we? Okay. Oh, I get a six. Ooh. Three. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. You should have let her go alone. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no more good deeds. <laughs> So the two of you start to try to sneak closer and you hear the official start to say something like, yes, our orders are to take this to this particular warehouse and leave it there. It will be picked up by others. And right at that moment, two of the armed men look up and they see you. Uh, They see you, Rose, and I think they probably see Francis too. Like the two of you Mm -hmm. are together and they all turn and point their weapons at you. Oh boy. And the official looks over at you and smiles. And he kind of like waves the men with guns down and says, no, no, it's all right. I knew they'd be here. My mistress said that she hopes that you're impressed with the way that she's handled things. And that if she ever needs to call on you again, that you'll be willing to sit down with her. And then he just kind of waves the group along and like tells them, all right, go ahead, bring it in. Do either of you do anything to try to stop anything? Not with six men with guns. Oh, man. I don't. No. No. I don't. I mean, for Rose, no. I don't think she does anything. And it is not, like, a good feeling. Yeah. It's not a good feeling. Frances is not impressed. And I think you can see that on her face. Because they've still got one cask. And it's not getting destroyed. Mm -hmm. But she's not going to stop anything. Well, in that case, that is where our story is going to come to a close (laughs) for now. (laughs) 
So as we <gasps> always do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> as we always do, I'm going to give each of the players a chance for a coda, um, which is actually written in the rules of the Yellow King RPG and is something that I brought over to all my other games. So I'm going to give each of you a chance mm -hmm. to either describe a scene or just describe in general what you think life is like for your characters over the next... It could be the next day. It could be the next week. Probably not, especially given the way that, that we're going to structure this campaign. Don't don't even push it out a month. So I yeah. would say in the next mm -hmm. days up to a week, what does life look like for you? Is there a particular thing that you want to do um, or a particular person that you want to talk to coming out of the this experience that the four of you had? And you all can have a chance to think and then anybody who wants to start can start. I think, um, I think Percy is encouraged and motivated by something for like the first time in his entire life mm -hmm. um you know he, he's had everything he ever wanted before but not really like organic excitement and that sort of thing and he's been looking through for it in the bowels of the city the whole time he's been here and hasn't found it and i think he finally has so i think i think he's feeling like he wants to dig into this further like Casilda is his buddy now like he feels a strong <laughs> connection here um he wants to take that further um he wants to see like where this is going to go but I think the day-to-day -day of his life doesn't really change he's continuing to like if anything he just has like a little more braggadocio about him when he's hanging out <laughs> in these seedy clubs and you know can say he's not killed but maimed these like hideous hell spawn creatures and <laughs> all of that you know it gives his like his tall tale is like a little bit more energy to it but i think he he pretty seamlessly goes back to his normal life just hoping though that something like this is around the corner great thank you i think um related to that genevieve is more worried about percy than ever which she's always been concerned but with this connection with Casilda, which she does not approve of, and with him, like, actually finding something that might directly lead to his death, which he's always been afraid of, but, like, there's never been, like, a clear sign of it. She's going to be trying to keep a, an even closer eye on him. Um, and also, I think she's very uncomfortable with how little she knows about all of this, because she's not used to not knowing things. And she wants to make sure that the next time they find themselves in one of these uh, ordeals, she has more information. So I think she's going to try and collect as much information about these people and the Yellow King and like the, the play and all of that stuff as she can. And so maybe that would go hand in hand with spending more time with Percy. Like maybe she would ask him to like, help her find people who know about this and they could talk to them and, you know, just try and gather information and keep an eye on him at the same time. Great. Um, and I think for Rose, I think like in the next like couple days or so starts to see like a bit of a return for her. Um, she is like pulling herself together a little bit more, um, She's been seen, like, you know, outside of class more. She's doing a lot of, like, walking around. Um, this end was really frustrating for her and, in a way, like, definitely feels like a bit of a failure because, obviously, like, so much of this problem was eradicated, but, you know, whatever... She's sort of haunted by the words of Casilda about, like, a game and how, like, this is really just the first round. Um... But it seems like there's like a bit of a new energy in her. Um, and I think that she, you know, when she's not in class um, or doing what she needs to do, she is spending a lot more time like looking into occult circles, like going to those like bars that people gather at. Um, just in, sort of like in the same vein, trying to maybe understand more of like what might be going on like what people are hearing what they're experiencing um and I do think that probably after just a couple days like the very end of her scene um she has you know her uh, nice dress on her clean apron her hair is done well and she's standing outside of Manu's door just about to knock oh so. amazing amazing yeah. 
That's so good. Um, for for Francis, Francis, I think is going to do a few things. I do think she's going to probably within the first day is going to follow up with Rose and she's going to knock on her door and hope that she can talk to her briefly. She knocks this time. Uh, is Rose going <laughs> to make her stand outside again? <laughs> uh, no, I actually think that she opens right after the first knock. <gasps> growth Aww. that's growth yeah <laughs> um rose do you, hi um can i come in um i think that there's like a flicker of hesitation and then she says yes please please and she ushers her inside um francis is gonna reach right away into her satchel and she brings out her sketchbook but she doesn't open it yet and i think she finds a place to sit down and turns to rose Rose, thank you. I don't I don't think anything that happened is what we were expecting. And it's a lot more than I think either of us bargained for. But I'm glad you were there. And I need to show someone something. Um, and I think she's going to open the sketchbook to the most recent picture that she drew of Casilda that now has a mask on it. And she kind of lets Rose see it. And she looks at her and says, when I drew this, it didn't have a mask. So, can you do me a favor? I want to try again, and I want someone I trust to look at it now, look at it tomorrow. Could you do that for me? And I think, and and Rose, you know, I think she's either standing next to her, sitting next to her, and her own eyes, like, flicker to a closed door in her studio, and then she looks back at Francis and she says, I can do that for you. Okay. And Francis is going to sketch Casilda right then and there. And I think they'll just make an appointment <laughs> to meet up again and confirm what happens, which I assume is going to be it's going to have a mask on it. We'll see in the epilogue. We'll see in the epilogue. <laughs> you know what? There is another thing. Okay. She's going to write one more note. She's going to write it to Donald and to Monty. And it's going to say, I don't know where you've been, but you need to come see me as soon as possible. Love, Francis. And I think... Less than an hour later, you hear a knock on your door. And when you open it up, you see that both Donald and Monty, sweaty as if they ran there, are waiting outside your door. And that is where we're going to end our story for now. Oh. <laughs> 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 My emotions! <laughs> Paris, September 20th, 1895. Alice Selby hurried around the apartment of Genevieve Vanderbilt, ensuring that everything would be ready for her mistress once she returned from class. She'd spent the morning cleaning, though Ms. Vanderbilt kept things so spotless in the apartment that there never really was that much cleaning to do. Now she'd put the kettle on in case Ms. Vanderbilt wanted tea when she arrived home, and she was just putting some cookies out on a plate when she remembered something she needed to do. She slid the plate of cookies onto the dining room table and hurried to one of the guest rooms in the apartment. Alice had been so wrapped up in the excitement of the past few days that she had forgotten to change the sheets from when Ms. Vanderbilt had guests over. She opened the door to the guest room and took a sharp inhale of breath. All she was looking at was a bed, tidily made as if no one had slept there. But the scene brought back a dream, or was it a memory, of the night that Ms. Frances Anderson had slept in this very bed. Alice thought she'd woken up in the middle of the night and got up to drink a glass of water, but by the morning it had seemed like a dream, only faint glimpses still in her mind. But now she wasn't so sure. Perhaps she really had seen it. Alice had gone to the sink to fill her glass when she heard something coming from the room where Ms. Anderson was sleeping. She didn't want to pry, but she also wouldn't be able to live with herself if Ms. Anderson needed something and she simply ignored it. And so, forgetting the glass of water... Alice walked down the hall to the guest room. She knocked quietly on the door. Ms. Anderson, are you alright? Is there something you need? Alice heard a muffled voice but couldn't quite make out the words, so she cracked the door slightly and peered inside, saying, Did you say something, Ms. Anderson? She didn't hear a response, 
but as Alice looked into the room, she saw Ms. Anderson lying on her side, scribbling furiously at her sketch pad. Alice started to speak again, but it was clear that Ms. Anderson hadn't noticed her enter the room. That's when Alice noticed Ms. Anderson's face. It was covered in white paint, as if she had been performing as a clown or a mime. Her eyes looked crazed as she stared down at the sketch pad, and Alice looked down as well. Ms. Anderson seemed to have drawn a woman with dark hair and a flowing gown, and as Alice watched, Ms. Anderson finished her sketch by drawing a mask on the woman's face. Paris, September 22, 1895. Montgomery Hogg sat in the dark corner of a bar, drink in hand. It was a familiar feeling for Monty, perhaps the most familiar feeling in his life at the moment. This is where he belonged, he thought, sitting in near darkness, drinking more than he should, and allowing himself to be enthralled by the mysteries that seemed to spread out before him. Monty looked up and into the eyes of the woman sitting across from him at the table, a beautiful woman with long, dark hair and wearing a stunning green dress. I'm glad you came back to chat again, Monty. It's been too long. Monty knew it had only been a few days since his last conversation with Casilda, but what she said didn't strike him as odd. It did feel like it had been too long. He simply nodded and let her continue. I've heard that you're writing again, she said. That's good. It would be a real shame to miss out on the fruits of a creative genius like yourself. And while you know I wish that all of your writing could be focused on me, I know that you have other interests. That's why I dug something up for you." Monty was sure that he responded, but even moments after he spoke, he wasn't sure exactly what he'd said. He found that the more time he spent with Casilda, the more he lost the details of that time. It all seemed to exist in a blissful haze. I need your help, Monty, she continued. Something is going to happen soon, something quite exciting, and I need you to be there when it does. I have worked it out so that you can even write about it. How does that sound? An exciting opportunity for both of us. Monty took a long drink from his glass, and before he knew it, he was alone at the table once more. He was sure that he'd agreed, though. More and more, when Casilda was involved, he found it nearly impossible to do anything else. This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Robin D. Laws, both used under the Pelgrane Press limited community use policy, along with the music from the Yellow King Suite written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the nature of my game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit www.patreon.com slash nomgpodcast.